I would invite you to open your Bibles this morning to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 3. If you want to use the Bible located in the pew in front of you, you can find that on page 1182. 2 Timothy, chapter 3, or page 1182 in the Bible in the pew in front of you. We mentioned last week that New Year's are, are a really good time to kind of reflect and kind of uh, think about what, what changes we might want to make for the year. I don't know about you, but usually about two weeks in, uh, I've pretty much given up on those. And so I've been working on the same one for about the last five years uh, and uh, still nowhere closer than I was five years ago. But um, it is a good time to reflect. It is a good time. The Lord gives us these cycles as we, as we come back to the beginning of one again and we look back on where we've been, where we're going. It's a good time to reflect. And, and I thought I would take, uh, just take a break from our Matthew series as we did through Advent and just for the next few weeks, just kind of remind us of uh, uh, kind of the pillars of our church. You may remember back during covid uh, myself and the deacons, uh, we sat down and we kind of talked about, okay, obviously this is a time to reflect on what is important, uh, what is absolutely essential for the church, uh, what are some things that maybe it's time to let go of, and, uh, and such like that. And one of the things we want to do is we want to make sure that we were not just uh, adding things to add things. We're not just adding small groups so we can have small groups. We're not just changing for the sake of change. But we're not staying the same simply and solely for the sake of staying the same either. We want to clearly define our theology. We want to clearly define our philosophy of ministry going forward. And you may recall that um, we did a whole series on that. This was years ago, so I doubt you recall. But just to remind you, um, we did a whole series and just kind of explained that the whole purpose of the church is to glorify God. And yet we cannot do that not in our flesh, not in our sinful state, not in our natural abilities. And so God gives grace through Christ, our, the way, the truth, and the life. And through Christ, he gives gifts to the church. And they, uh, they proceed in the apostles' doctrine. They proceed in worship. They proceed in fellowship in order to proclaim Christ, who is prophet, priest, and king. We, uh, we proclaim the fullness of Christ, his full ministry. And in order to do that is to create maturity and to develop maturity in you. And we had to ask ourselves, what is the definition of Christian maturity? And you remember, we found these three cardinal virtues of the Christian life that kind of umbrella everything, and that is faith, hope, and love. And so our goal in the church is to develop and mature you in faith, in your hope, and in your love. So that way you will reflect Christ who then brings glory to God. And so what do we always say? He who gives the grace, what? Gets the glory, that's right. He who gives the grace gets the glory. And so what we're gonna do, the way we word, word we don't say all of that to everybody, but what we do is we encapsulate all of that into kind of three kind of a three-legged bar stool that our ministry sits upon, and, and that is knowing the faith, living the faith, and sharing the faith. And so I thought for the new year, for the next uh, few weeks, it might be good just to kind of go back and kind of revisit those three and refresh them in your mind again 
everything we do, that is not a ministry program. Uh, we did not get rid of everything. We did not keep everything. Uh, but everything we do, we want to ask ourselves, how is this helping us to know the faith? How is this helping us to live the faith? And how is this helping us to share the faith? Not only amongst one another, but also into the world. We're fighting the isms of the world, the idols of the age, and also the evil practices of the age. And we're confronting those with the truths of God, with the life lived in God and hope of his return. And we're confronting those with the love that we share, that we're commanded to share by our king. And so this morning we're looking at knowing the faith and, and I wanted to kind of take it to a different approach and, and looking in the pastoral epistles, I want you to see that these are not just kind of, kind of buzzwords like the solas of the scriptura, they're solas of the reformation, scriptura is one of them, but, uh, but like the solas, they're not just buzzwords, they're not just catchphrases, but they encapsulate the, the faith, they encapsulate what the gospel is. And so they're just kind of catchy ways to, to remember that. And in the same way, uh, knowing the faith, living the faith, and sharing the faith is not just catchy phrases for us, but it, is, it encapsulates what we're trying to do, what we wish to accomplish, how we understand our purpose to be uh, in the ministry that God has given us here at Calvary. And so uh, I didn't go to my usual text to, uh, to explain this to you. I want you to see it from other places that, that you'll find these all over. And so this morning, we are in 2 Timothy chapter 2 beginning in verse 10, and uh, I will invite you just to remain seated as we read through the text together. Beginning in verse 10, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from all of them, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evil people and imposters go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have been acquainted with in the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness so that the man of God, and you can place sister of God in there if you'd like, so that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so our three aims in ministry, we want to develop you in faith, hope, and love. These are the three marks of Christian maturing. And by the way, notice I say maturing there. It's not maturity. We're, we're not seeking a destination, but we are seeking a direction. Um, you know, today you ask me, am I, am, I, am I a mature man? Well, I'd like to think so. I'm mature for a 45-year-old. Was I mature when I was 30? Sure I was. When I was 30, I was mature for a 30-year-old. You know, maturity is a direction. It's not a destination. And that's what we're looking for in our growth in Christ's likeness. We're looking for a direction. And so the way we word it, know the faith, live the faith, share the faith, we proclaim Christ. We proclaim him as our prophet so that we may believe his truth. We proclaim him as priest so we live in the life that he gives us 
and we proclaim him as king and we obey his commands. Chief among them is to love one another as Christ has loved us. So this morning from this text, we see that we must continue in what we know. We must continue on in what we have learned. Timothy was the uh, protege of Paul. We know a lot more about Timothy than we do of his other disciples. We know that we left him in the church. Uh, he left him in the church at Ephesians and, uh, or at Ephesus. And, and this is Paul's last inspired letter that we have. Paul knows that he is about to give his life for Christ. And he knows that, uh, that he is now passing the torch on from apostolic ministry to ongoing church ministry. And so he is giving Timothy and Titus also, but he's giving these three men, these two men directions for how the church is to proceed after he is gone, after the apostles are off the scenes. And we see here this morning, uh, in light of our, in light of our mission, in light of our vision, we need to continue in what we know. We, we never know it all. It's a, it's a constant, continual process. We are constantly improving. We are constantly going more and more and more. And so we're gonna see that in three ways. We must know our faith. Why? Because it will be strong for us, because it was confirmed for us, and because it is sufficient for us. It will be strong, it was confirmed, and it is sufficient So let's look at these three this morning, beginning in verse 10. Number one, we must know the faith because it will be strong for us. What am I talking about here? Back in verse 10, Paul says to him, you have followed me. And he gives this long list, and I I won't go through each one of these, but he gives this long list that basically uh, encapsulates Paul's entire ministry, his entire life and ministry. It talks about what is taught talks about his conduct and all of this. But as you read through this, one of the things you'll notice is that there is an emphasis on perseverance. There's an emphasis on keeping on that he, that he was faithful in verse 11 in persecutions and in suffering. And as you go back to chapter uh, three, verses one through nine, you see that Paul is describing the natural state that people will do in their last days. In fact, if you look back in, uh, in, verse, in, verse, uh, in verse eight, he says, just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men oppose the truth. That is the names that were traditionally given to the magicians of Egypt, that, uh, that they... Uh, opposed Moses whenever he confronted uh, Pharaoh. And you remember, Pharaoh, uh, Moses threw a stick on the ground and became a serpent. Uh, magicians did the same thing. Moses turned the water of the Nile into the blood. Uh, the magicians did the same thing. And I want you to notice that these, these men who opposed Moses during that time, they're not just sitting around doing their magic tricks, but what they're doing is they are opposing the work of God that he is accomplishing, trying to accomplish, and will accomplish through Moses. They did not just sit around doing it, but in the same way, these people of the last days, it would be one thing if they just sat around and kind of kept their sin to themselves, but no, they actively oppose God and all of his, uh, all of his kingdom purposes in the world. And we see this more and more and more in the world around us, don't we? 
In fact, Paul refers to them, let's just take one of these, he refers to them as lovers of self, lovers of pleasure, lovers of money. Let's just look at lovers of self. People today believe that they have the ability to create themselves and our will and our desires trumps everything else. Religion, nationality, even the fixed scientific truths of the world. What I want to be trumps all of that. And I determine my own identity. There was a kind of a funny thing that happened. Funny, it was really sad, but President, uh, Vice President Kamala Harris in a meeting, she took a little heat for this because she was sitting at a round table and she introduced herself as, I am Kamala Harris. My pronouns are she and her. I am a woman sitting at the table wearing a blue suit. And the other attendees of the round table all introduced themselves the same way. Now, what's the point of that? The point of that is that my objective facts that I see, the fact that I am looking at you and I can see what you're wearing, I can see whether you're a man or a woman, I can see uh, all of this, none of that matters because I define who I am. And if there is anything that encapsulates the idea of lovers of self, it is that. That's the way we're seeing that in our culture today. And the more this happens, the more Christianity, biblical Christianity, is going to be viewed as racist, imperialistic, and oppressive because we dare in our insistence on objective truth. The more we're going to be seen as haters, the more we're going to be seen as, as backwards and all of this. And that's why Paul says, he goes on, he says, indeed, all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted as evil men and imposters proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Beloved, these people are not our enemies. Kamala Harris is not our enemy. But the doctrines that world view the principalities and the rulers that she has been captured by, that is what we are at war with. And we need to understand that this is a spiritual battle. If I can point to any one person and say, you're my enemy, I'm fighting the wrong battle. I'm fighting the wrong battle. And so how do we guard against this? Go back to Paul's primary command. Continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. Just as those who oppose the truth progress in their opposition, beloved, so in the same way, we are to progress in what we have learned and what we have known and what we have firmly believed. I find it interesting that Paul's famous armor of God metaphor that he uses, he calls for the head to wear the helmet of salvation. Protect your head with the knowledge of salvation because the battle for all eternity, all spiritual warfare begins in your mind. It begins for to capture your heart through the mind gate, through the ear gate, and through the eye gate. 
And so this is what keeps us strong in the faith when times get tough, when people oppose us. And, and, and listen, it may not be anything as dramatic as, as violence or opposition, but maybe being part of a believing church today simply does not give you the social capital that it used to. There was a day when your boss used to respect you for taking Sundays to honor the Lord's day. Now he sees it as lost productivity. There was a day when your coaches, when your child's ball coach used to see Sundays as important to his development. Now he sees it as a tournament loss and a lost practice. Being part of a believing church just simply does not give you the social capital that it used to. And beloved, if you are not growing strong in what you know to be true, that kind of pressure in our culture is gonna be very difficult to withstand. It's hard anyway. It's hard anyway. I mean, who wants to be the kid on the ball team that causes his team not to go to play in the tournament on Sunday afternoon? Who wants to do that? None of us do. The pressure's already there. And if we don't know, if we are not firmly convinced of what we believe, we're not gonna be able to withstand that pressure. And so we need to know the faith because that is what is strong for us. That is how we withstand the pressure. Beloved, only a deep knowledge of the faith will be able to withstand the kind of pressure that says either work on Sunday or lose your job. Either, either defile God or get an F on the paper. Either these kinds of things that happen and I'm not saying that there's no reason to work on Sunday. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that. I'm not a Sabbatarian. But what I am saying is that the pressure to abandon a godly, holy life is gonna get worse and worse and worse. And as they progress, we must progress in the knowledge of our faith so that the stronger the wind gets, the deeper our roots grow. Amen? So beloved, Jesus promises that when this pressure comes, he says not to worry. In fact, in Luke chapter 21, he says that when that time comes and when you stand before those who oppose you, I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. And beloved, where does he give that wisdom? Where does he give that mouth? He gives it right here. So know it, grow deep in it. Grow deep roots. How does Christ do this for us? He does it through the word. And if you're not availing yourself to the word, if you're not availing him, yourself to that primary means of grace that he has given for our growth and sanctification, how can you expect to withstand the attacks of the enemy? How can you, how can you expect to withstand the pressure against the church? And so, we need to know the faith because it will be strong for us. But secondly, we need to know the faith because it, will, it has been confirmed for us. Look what Paul goes on to say. He says in uh, verses, uh, lost my place. Uh, he says in verses 14 and 15, he says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned. That's the main point and firmly believed. Why? Knowing from whom you've learned it. 
and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul is commanding us, commanding Timothy and those who are under Timothy's ministry and ultimately us in the church. He is commanding us to continue in what we've learned and believe, knowing from whom you have learned them. He encourages us to remain faithful, continually faithful and increase. Why? Because what we have learned and what we have, what we have believed has been confirmed. Why do we know that? Well, number one, because we know from whom it came. We know from whom it came. Now for Timothy, immediately, this immediately goes back to Paul. This immediately goes, links back to Paul. In fact, you remember in the first part of our text, in verse 10, Paul says, you followed me, and he gives this long list of, that encapsulates his entire ministry. And Paul says, you've learned it from me. But it wasn't just Paul. It wasn't just Paul he learned it from. He goes on and he says, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the holy, the sacred scriptures. And, and you know, what's so interesting about that is that that term childhood, is, it's actually referring to infancy. How from infancy that you have learned and have been acquainted with the holy scriptures of God. In other words, from the time that Timothy was sitting on his mama's knee, he was learning the truths of God. He was learning the truths of God from his mother. We also know from his grandmother. In uh, 1 Timothy, excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter one, and those first few verses there, he says how you learned it, chapter five, verse five, excuse me, he says he was introduced to the scriptures through his mother and through his grandmother. Here's the point, beloved, that all of those from whom he became acquainted with the scriptures with, all of those from whom he learned it were people who were personally involved in his life. They're people that he watched. They're people that he knew loved him. They're people that he knew had their best in mind. There are people that he knew were personally invested in his growth, his holiness. They were people that loved Timothy. And that is what has confirmed his faith through those who loved him and shared it with him. He saw their conduct. He watched their lives. I imagine he saw their mistakes and heard them repent. They shared the good, the bad, and the ugly, and he learned from all of it. Their entire lives were a resource for his growth in Christ. You know, here's the thing. For most of the isms that's out there today, we have no idea who's behind them. We have no idea who made them up. You ever heard of a guy named Peter Sanger? Consider yourself blessed. He is behind much of the abortion movement. And he is no friend to human life. Consider yourself blessed. Whoever these people are, beloved, they don't care about you. They don't care about you. You say, Randy, that's kind of harsh. How do you know that? Because they don't know you. That's how I know that. Kids, actors, sports celebrities, sports stars, YouTube personalities, TikTok uh, influencers. They don't care about you. They don't know you. 
They can't care about you. Our older generation, politicians, news commentators on, on Fox or MSN, whichever one, is, whichever one you like, they don't know you. They don't care about you. Why do they care so much that you agree with them? Because it affirms them. That's why. It's the lover of self who has an audience and is using his audience to help create him and help him love himself even more. That's all they're doing. That's all they're doing. They don't care about you. And oh, young people, especially children, let me ask you for a minute. Teenagers, listen to me. Why are you giving more credence to some TikTok guy or some YouTube talking face than the people who are right here, who know you, who love you, and have your best at heart? Why are you giving more credence to those total strangers? Why would you do that? That's foolish. It's the mark of a fool. It's itching ears, accommodating and accumulating teachers for yourself that'll, that'll scratch you right where you want to be scratched. It's itching ears. Truth is confirmed by those in your life. Truth is confirmed when you see the faithfulness of the men and women in this church, the faithfulness of your parents, the faithfulness of your teachers, the faithfulness of your godly friends. That's how, that's the best influence you can have. And parents, don't forget that. Grandparents, don't forget, oh, how much influence you have over your kids. How much your kids love you. Don't ignore them. Don't, don't miss this great opportunity to invest the faith into your young grandchildren's hearts. Don't do that. The truth is confirmed not only, though, by those, but Paul says that these things are you have been acquainted with in the Holy Scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. It's not only confirmed by those that we watch, but beloved, when you come to faith in Christ Jesus by faith alone and faith in Christ alone to the glory of God alone on the authority of Scripture alone, all of those things, when you come to faith in Christ Jesus, beloved, it is confirmed in you as that salvation becomes a reality in your heart, as the Spirit begins to confirm His Word in your heart. Romans chapter 8 is the central passage for the Spirit's work in the Christian. And I won't, I won't say it all, but in, but in Romans 8, especially in verse 16, it says that He bears witness with our spirit that we are His children, that we belong to God. The Spirit confirms the truthfulness of God's word to you. And when you hear it rightfully explained, the Spirit knocks on the door of your heart and says, this is my word. This is my word. Have you, have you not ever been watching TV or, or hopefully not with me? If you have, then, uh, then I'm terribly sorry that this has happened. But, but have you ever heard a preacher preaching and, and what they're preaching is, is not really just jiving and you're, and, you're, and, you're, and you're thinking about it and you're like, there's something wrong with this. Something's not right, right? But then you hear another preacher who, who, who is explaining the text and he's going through it and verse by verse, he is bringing out, he's just letting the scriptures breathe and you're listening to it and you're saying, this is God's word. That's the spirit. He's confirming his word. He's testifying to you that this is truth. 
And he's compelling you to obey it, to believe it, and to love it. You remember how much you hated Bible stories before you were saved? Maybe not all of us, but boy, I did. Um, I, we wanted to go see that movie Thor, the third one where he cuts his hair. And Colton just really did not want to see it. He was like, I do not want to, see, I've seen it. I've heard the story a hundred times. And we're like, what are you talking about? It's a brand new movie. It's in theaters. He says, I know what happens. He cuts his hair and he loses all of his strength. I was like, that's Samson, buddy. Thor will be just fine. <laughs> so <laughs> he, uh, he, got his, he got his stories a little confused there. He was like um, probably about seven at the time, something like that. You remember, you remember how much you just kind of like, oh, church, I don't wanna go to church, you know, all of that. But then the Holy Spirit came into your life and all of a sudden there was this desire to worship this love for God, this love for the word. And you just can't get enough of it. You want the scriptures to breathe. I read a poem one time that talked about, do not let your preacher out of his office until he has a word from God, because that is what we want. It was a powerful poem. And so, and a great reminder. So if this is the case, why do you need to continue in it? Why do you need to constantly pursue it? Why do you need to continue in it? Well, let me ask you a question. When you got married and you said, I do, that was it. That's all you have to do, right? Now you have a strong marriage. You haven't done anything since. Haven't invested in your marriage at all. You know, you said, I do. That's it, got it. And everything's hunky-dory, right? No. No, in fact, that was just beginning. You found out pretty quick that, uh, you know, I had all the fruits of the spirit before I got married. And then when I started to get pretty good at them, then I started having kids and they just all went away again. So <laughs> you find out that marriage is a lot of work. It didn't, just, it didn't just stop that moment where you said, I do. And in the same way, just as we must build our marriages into strong, healthy marriages, beloved, so we must build ourselves up on our most holy faith. So we must invest, so we must, in, so we must endure, so we must build ourselves up and persevere in the knowledge of God. You know, one of the things I really grieve over today is how many of these younger people are, are, are abandoning the faith. They even have a word for it. They call it deconstruction. And what really grieves me is that when I, when I look at what these guys are deconstructing over and the questions they have, it's all questions that have been asked before and the church has answered. And yet no one taught them. No one taught them. And again, kids, just listen to me just for a moment. If you have questions, ask them. Ask them here. Ask them to me. Ask them to Logan. Ask them to Bobby and Melinda, your youth leaders. And if it's a really hard question, ask Stefan. <laughs> but beloved, I promise you, if we can't find the if we don't know the answer, I promise you, you know what we'll do? We will search together and we will find the answer together because I promise you, 
there is an answer. There is, and kids, don't be afraid to ask. Parents, don't get upset when your kids are asking questions. Don't. That's the process of it becoming their own faith and not yours. So don't let that intimidate you. Embrace it, welcome it, and search with them and find the answers with them. And you'll be the better for it. Don't abandon your hope. Don't abandon your savior. He will never abandon you. He will never walk away from you. Lo, I'm with you always, even till the end of the age. He will never abandon you. Don't you abandon him. Don't walk away from him. He can handle your questions. He can handle your pain. He can handle your doubts. He can handle your fears. And he says, I am with you until the end. Our God is omnipresent. He is everywhere at once. That's why I love that song we sang today that goes through the attributes of God. Our God is omnipresent. He will be with you always. Don't abandon him. Don't walk away from him. How can I make that promise? How do I know that? Because not only is our faith, not only is it strong for us, not only has it been confirmed for us, but it is sufficient for us. Look how Paul ends it. He says in verse 16, all scripture. How much? All scripture is inspired by God, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God or the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. It's the foundation of it all. And, and I, could, I could do it. And I have done an entire sermon just on that verse. I will not do that. We're, we're coming to a close here. But this is the foundation of it all. This is, this is the foundation. Scripture is breathed out by God. It's not inspired in the sense that a painter is inspired to paint a beautiful painting or an architect is inspired to build a, and design a beautiful building. That is human inspiration. That is not what we're talking about here. We are talking about divine inspiration so that the words in Scripture are the words of the human authors, and yet by divine superintendence, they are also the very words of God so that every word in this book is a dependable and faithful word from God, and you can base your life on it. You can build your life on it. And you can trust what it says. It's the very word of God itself. And, it is, and, and Paul says that it is beneficial for us. How is it beneficial? What does it do? What are its purposes at the very end? In verse 17, so that the man or the child of God will be thoroughly equipped. We don't need the tools of the world to do God's work for us. We don't need the pop psychology or, or, or this or that. Everything we need for life and godliness is given to us right here by Christ in the scriptures. And if you don't understand it the first time, that's okay, because we have the written word, so you can go back again and again and again until you get it. You can meditate on it. You can reflect on it. 
The 2020 update of the NASB says this, so that the man or woman of God may be fully capable, equipped for every good work. I I like that translation. And so how does he do it? Through these four aims of teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. Beloved, there is no other worldly wisdom that can deliver on even its own promises, much less the promises of God. It just can't do it. And this is why Paul instructed Timothy earlier in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, train yourself for godliness. And then that verse, he goes on to say in the following verse, not the next one on the the board, but he goes on that following verse. He says, for bodily exercise only profits a little. By the way, that verse is in my kitchen. But, but godliness profits you forever because it has benefits both for this life and beyond. So train yourself for righteousness. Train yourself for godliness. And then he follows that up in verse 16. Pay close attention to both yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and your hearers. You know what's amazing? Is that That is about the only verse I can find that directly speaks to church growth in the scriptures. And yet when you go to these church growth seminars, that verse never comes up. Never comes up. Keep a close watch on yourself. Keep a close watch on the teaching for by doing so, you will ensure salvation for for yourself and for those who hear. That's the kind of church growth we want, amen? Amen. We don't want to jump on the latest fad. We don't want to keep on the oldest fads. We want a growth that comes from God. We want a growth that comes, that is based upon the wisdom of God. It's so tempting to want more. So tempting. But beloved, God has given us all we need for life and godliness. We have it all. All we need. It's right here. If we needed more, God would have given us more. We don't need more. We have everything we need. So don't keep longing for more. Long to grow deeper in what you've been given. And know the word. Continue in the faith once delivered for all the saints. So how can you know it better? Many of you may have started a a Bible reading plan this year. Some of you are reading for familiarity. You're you're going through the whole Bible in a year. Maybe some of you are reading for depth. You're you're focusing on a section of scripture, maybe the prophets or the gospels or, or something like that. As we said last week, both ways are good. Don't be legalistic about that. Both ways are good, all right? But what can you do to know it better? Let's look back at those four purposes. The purpose of scripture, what does it do? Teaches you, rebukes you, corrects you, and trains you. Beloved, that's a great tool to use to meditate in the scriptures this year. When you read a text, how is this text teaching me? What does it teach me about God? What What does it say about Christ? How is it leading me to Christ? Remember, he's the main character in every story. 
In every text, Christ is the main character. How does this text, what is it teaching me about either who Christ is or what I need Christ, how I need Christ? Is there a sin that this text is rebuking? Is there a, is there a sin that this text is reproving? And the flip side of that, it's not enough just to take out the bad. You gotta put good in its place. So, what is this text teaching me to replace the bad that I've repented of with? What is this text asking me and telling me to do instead of what I've been doing? And then finally, how is this text instructing me how to do it? How is this text training me to continue on in righteousness? And that's really where meditation comes in. What are specific ways I can obey it? Remember we said last week, don't just say, I'm gonna love my, my wife more this year. I wanna love my wife like Christ more this year. Don't just say that, because how can you measure that? You can't. But what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? How am I going to show my wife that I love her like Christ this year? How am I gonna serve her? How am I gonna know her better? How am I gonna lead her? All of these things. That's what you can do with the text this year. And as, as you continue on, beloved, let me just exhort you to continue on in the word. Don't be satisfied with a superficial understanding of our faith. Don't be satisfied with that. That will not sustain you when the difficult times come. But instead, grow deep roots grow deep roots in the word and knowing our faith. And then you'll be ready to live it and you'll be ready to share it as we're gonna talk about in the coming weeks. But the first thing you need to know is whether or not you know Christ as Savior. If you don't have that, all the rest is not. If you don't have that, all the rest is simply a hamster spinning a wheel. So beloved, this morning, if you're here and you don't know Christ, I wanna talk to you for just one moment. And that is the most important thing you need to know. When Christ tells us that we come before him, the question is not gonna be, what have you done to get in here? The question is gonna be whether or not you know Christ. He will say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. That's the question. So my question to you is, do you know Christ this morning? He is God himself. He came to earth and lived a life of perfect obedience before God in front of several witnesses. The account of his life is here and all the implications of his life are recorded and written down by eyewitnesses for us. And then he died on the cross for our sins. And because that was sufficient, God raised him from the dead three days later. And now he's ascended to heaven. He's at the right hand of the Father and he's offering himself to you as a deliverance from the wrath of your sin. And one day he's coming back and he'll establish his kingdom forever. Will you be in it? If not, I wanna share with you how you can know that this morning by faith alone by trusting in Christ alone and repenting of your sins.
you can have Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you can know the faith in an incredible way. Father, we thank you for this time together. I thank you for the attention that you have given this morning to your word. I pray that it has been faithful. I pray that it has been uh, enlightening, helpful, convicting where it needs to be convicting, encouraging where it needs to be encouraging. Lord, for those who need to be rebuked, but then also corrected, I pray that it has done that. Lord, I pray your word has been effective in our hearts, in our minds, and that as we begin to go another week, we will be ready to do so to the glory of our God alone. So Father, if there's one here this morning who doesn't know you, I pray something that was said or done that will draw them to yourself. You will make them your children, adopt them, and bring them home. Or that they would turn away from the influencers they're listening to, from the, from the desires of their heart, from the evil practices, the sin that they have been caught up in. And they will come to Christ, our prophet, priest, and king, who has given all for us. May you deliver them this morning before they leave. Let's stand and sing together. I invite you to sing along with us. If you're here this morning, you have a need, you wanna know who Christ is, maybe you have received the word, but you wanna confess that in baptism. Maybe you want to come and join a Bible-believing, preaching fellowship that will be committed to your growth and sanctification. Whatever your need is, we invite you to come for further counsel, however we can help you this morning. Let's sing a few verses together. I've decided.